Our understanding of God's love is often informed by how those around us show us love. But is that really how we should define or understand God's love? I'm sitting down with Pastor David Hegg to discuss the theological and practical applications of God's love. I'm your host, Aaron Miller, pastor of equipping at Grace Baptist Church in Santa Clarita, California. Welcome to Magnify. Has your um your pastoral theology class that's not started yet or it has started? Starts a week from today. You excited? Scared. It's all in you. No, I'm not scared. I am it's daunting for me to create a brand new class that I've never taught before. Right. And I just have run out of time. Yeah. I know what each day is going to be, each class period. I have four or five topics, but now I actually have to fill in the blank outline. Yeah. I mean, I read your outline, and uh, I'm just— Way too much. In my, no. I, if they only give you one semester, you have to cover, I think, I what you covered. I know. And what I'm saying is, I, while it might be a new class for you, it's all the stuff you've done. Yeah, it is. I just—part of me thinks I'm going to have too much material, and the other part of me thinks I, I will run out of stuff in an hour, and yeah. it's a two-hour and 40-minute and class. I think it's one of those um, situations where some days you'll get started and realize, oh, my goodness, I have a full tank. I didn't think I did. Yeah. And then maybe there'll be some days you're, like, yeah. 45 minutes in, you're well, like, Well, oh, I'm going to tell the guys, I've got four books they're supposed to read. I'm not going to ask them. I'm going to say, okay, you're now in the pastoral ministry. Nobody knows whether you read stuff. Nobody knows when you get to the office. Nobody knows all kinds of things. You have to master yourself, and you have to say, I'm, these are four books, and Professor Haig has asked me to read these, and I'm going to read them. Well, you know what you're but tapping, I'm not going to ask them. You know what you're tapping into there. What you've identified as one of the hardest things in ministry, which is the lack of metrics. Yeah. There's no scoreboard. There's no scoreboard. And so this is the class. I'm going to grade them completely on the papers that they hand in. And as easy as I'm going to be on the reading, everybody's going to get 100%. Regardless, I'm not even going to ask them. I'm going to be equally ferocious on their papers. Sure. Because writing as a pastor is very important writing your sermons, writing letters, writing thank you notes, uh, writing white papers, writing protocols, right? You know. When you developed that outline for that class, uh, do you recall anything that you changed in through the years? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you grow, I hope. Yeah. I mean, my, my sermon prep continues to change. I mean, I didn't put the simple sermon together until like, A few years what? ago. Two years ago. Yeah. 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 So you've grown. It's not changed. It's that you've deepened the practice. And some things that I was taught and told I don't do anymore. Uh-huh. You know, I don't read the Bible through in a year anymore. I didn't find that. It was helpful the first two times I did it, but right. now I, I read slower. Mm-hmm. No. Well, what I want to talk to you about today is something we talked about recently as a pastoral team. It's about the love of God. And I think when we talk about the love of God, it's something that we can so easily, you know, we're overwhelmed by the veil of familiarity on that one, right? Yeah, right. God loves you, and he loves the world, and he loves me. I'm curious, let's go back in time. When you heard as a young man, because you, you had an upbringing that we kind of talked about, and you've even fleshed it out a little bit on this podcast before. But when you heard, David, God loves you, like, how did you understand that? 
because of the filters that you put around that? How did you interpret that? Because you were in a very fundamentalist environment. Mm-hmm. How did that impact you? God loves you. Well, I, the way I remember it, and I hope I'm not at all diminishing the the real benefit I had as having a really good man, Oscar Henry Adolph Haig, as my dad, mm-hmm. a Dallas Seminary grad, an expositor, a genuinely humble and yet very gifted pastor. I just recently received an email that referenced my dad as the the finest pastor, this man who has been a university and seminary professor for 30 years. Uh, He was in my dad's church in Boise, Idaho, and he told me that your father was the finest example of a pastor that I've ever known in Mm. my years. You know, he's 83 years old. So I had a great legacy, but my dad was part of a movement that was responding to the easy believism of the world around it that was primarily encapsulated in the four spiritual laws. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, Mm -hmm. which was wrong. Okay, in our view, that was wrong. It's not where you start. You don't start with the love of God. You start with the truth of God that you're a sinner, the law. And so I lived in an upbringing that was primarily legal, yeah, not lovable. Does that make sense? Uh-huh. I don't ever remember anybody coming to me and says, David, you know that you are loved by Almighty God and that his love encompasses you. There's nothing you can do to undo God's relationship with you in Christ. I was never told that. But, ever. Your, but your father responded that way. Yeah, he, he loved was me. Yeah. And you felt that. He was a great guy, but he was a little distant. Okay. Okay, he'd come to my baseball games. He'd come to everything else. He'd, he was there for me when I needed him. But we didn't have a sentimental home. Mm. No, we had a, a rule-based truth knowledge, know the Lord, know him, know his truth, obey his truth. So in the area of God's love, was that understood to be conditional? You wouldn't say that. You wouldn't say it that way, but yeah, is that I, way I it mean, felt? I, you, you had to earn it. You had to perform for it. When you're, you know, when a fish is in the lake, it doesn't realize that there's water all around it, but mm. you take it out and put it in the boat and it longs, it looks back and sees, oh, there mm. was this water. Mm. Growing up, I mean, I had a good growing up. I did what I wanted to do, was able to be in a family. I was well taken care of, but it wasn't loving. We mm. weren't hugged. We weren't, you know, like <laughs> I'm all over my kids saying, mm. I love you. You're so great. Way to go. Yeah. But that wasn't my upbringing. Actually, to get to your point, yeah. it actually left a gap, let's say, in my education with regard to God's love. Yes. Right? Yes. Because I understood love as, you know, I provide a house for you. I provide food for you. I tell you what the truth is. You got to love the truth. If you love the truth, God's going to bless you. And that's, that's life. Mm. So, yeah, if you, if you take the young David Hegg in Spokane, Mm. And then you take the David I experienced yesterday in the pastor's roundtable meeting that we had. You have grown in your understanding of God's love theologically, also just in its application as a husband, as a father, as a pastor. When, between when you were young to the David I experienced yesterday, when did you begin to kind of wrestle with that, though? Was it in the work of pastoral ministry? No, I think it was, I think it was in college. As, you know, I came down here to Southern California, away from the 
fundamentalist group that I was with, although I liked them. I didn't chafe under it. I came down here and I was introduced to theology. I was introduced to people who primarily in my second year, this woman named Sherilyn, who was a Lutheran. Mm. I would have to say in my 50 years of knowing her, 46 of which we've been married, she has demonstrated and I have learned and have really come to base my whole life on these two things. Number one, the greatest thing in all of the world is to love and be loved. Mm. And number two, loving and being loved in a marriage is really a signpost. Maybe it's a lens on that being a very small demonstration of how great it is to love the Lord Jesus Christ and be loved by him. So I think it was through interaction that I began to realize, man, I, I like being loved. Mm. And that led me theologically to understand that it's not that God is loving. And I know you want to talk about this, so I'll kind of open the door. It's not that God is loving. It's that God is love. Right. It is his nature. And we'd say that about his other attributes. It's not that God is just. He is justice. Yes. Right. I know yes. what we mean when we say he's yeah. just, but yeah, that's yeah. how we, he is the definition and the standard by which we understand. All of his attributes are attributes of his nature. Right. Okay. When those work out, so God is justice. And when that attribute is displayed, it shows that he is just, he's yes. righteous. Yeah. So God is love. And I don't know when you want to get into the theological side of that, but he acts loving because it is his nature to do so. I think that was the missing piece. And the reason I want to get into that, we talked about it yesterday as, as pastors. We start off with ourselves in the center of that consideration. God loves you. Yeah. Right? And right. We, we put ourselves in the center of that. And there's a healthy version of that. I'm not saying that that's when we teach our sons and daughters when they're, they're young, that Jesus loves you, this I know, so on and so forth. However, we don't go beyond that into the very ontology of God, the Trinitarian unity of love that God is. Mm -hmm. We're bound to ourselves and we put ourselves at the center of all of his activity, which is really destructive, right? At the risk of really offending some people, mm. there's this great little song that we teach all the little kids, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. The problem with that is it's, it's kind of like the Lord's Supper. Anybody can take it, but unless you're in Christ, it really isn't significant for you. That's why when we do the Lord's Supper, we say, look, if you haven't given your life to Jesus, just let the plate pass you by, let the cup pass you by, because it, this is really a means whereby those who are in Christ mm -hmm. go deeper and deeper into what it means to belong to him. Okay, but God loves the world, so what do you do with that? Yeah, but well, okay. <laughs> Not everybody should sing Jesus Loves Me. Yeah. Yes. Right? Right. So back to John 3.16. Right. What does it mean that God loves his cosmos? That's the word that's used. The word cosmos is used eight different ways, the Greek word in the New Testament. But there it means God loves his creation. Mm. And he wasn't going to let sin win. And we see that beginning in Genesis 3, where right after he passes out the curses, he says, but there's coming a one that the he, seed of the woman, who's going to begin the process of God's redemptive dynamic of his kingdom power to turn back that which was depraved and turn it into yeah. that which is holy. How's he do that? Right. Well, you know, Matthew 1 He's going to do it, name him Jesus, because he's going to save his people from their sins. So 
technically speaking, I can only say Jesus loves me if I have entrusted my life to him. Hi, ladies, this is Martha Harding, and I would love to have you join us for another Grace Women Together evening on February 23rd. We'll start at 7 o'clock in the Conference Center, have some snacks, we'll hear an encouraging testimony, and we'll enjoy just spending time together planning succulents. This is a fantastic opportunity for you to invest in your relationships with your believing and unbelieving friends. This Grace Women Together event is casual. The fee is only $5, and you can get more information and register online at gracebaptist.org women. We'll look forward to seeing you on the 23rd. And that's why it's so important to talk about God at the center of this discussion on love, because it then defines and informs his activity. If we put ourselves at the center of God loves me, again, there's a way in which that's absolutely correct. But if we run that too far, then eventually, I believe, we begin to redefine love for ourselves. Oh, and that's happening all around us in this world. Yes. And I see that with believers and certainly unbelievers, but where I see it with believers is they'll take John three sixteen, and begin to kind of make the earth flat in terms of God's application of love. Right. And then given enough time, that becomes just God affirming anything and everything you want to do. Yeah. It's indiscriminate in their minds. Mm-hmm. When we understand that God's redeeming love, his eternal redemptive grace, his gracious benevolent attitude towards those who don't deserve it is only directed at those who are in Christ. Mm. A lot of people are not in Christ and they're going to experience God's love as his love for righteousness and justice. Mm. And it's going to be eternal punishment. Mm. Now that's a function of what he loves most and his activity in, in judging sin is a function of his love for righteousness because we know that God's primary purpose is to bring glory to himself. Mm -hmm. And he brings glory to himself by saving those that he chooses to save and to whom he gives saving faith. But it also, his love is seen in loving his own glory, which is most magnified through righteousness. Therefore, he, he can't put up with an eternal situation where people who don't keep his law, who haven't trusted in Jesus Christ, who haven't obeyed him, are going to have the same benefits as those who do. So there is a distinction between the ones he loves and those who don't are the ones he judges. But nobody is treated unjustly. Right. All the actions are right and just. And that's why our society that, you know, this whole phrase, love is love, Mm -hmm. that God is love. Therefore, anything that you love, God must love. That is a non sequitur that is not only illogical, but it is ruinous to an understanding of good and evil. Yeah. Where do you see that in the church, though? Because, you know, believers aren't going to go that far. I I, I couldn't imagine. But I, I, I have met younger believers in the faith that when it comes to maybe how and what we preach, you know, it wasn't too long ago that you, you let me preach Psalm 51. Mm-hmm. And that's a heavy psalm. And a comment was made to me, you know, why aren't you loving the congregation when you preach that? And certainly, I think my demeanor and the tone needs to be something that I'm mindful of when I'm preaching. You and I have talked about that before. But the reality is, many times, the feeling or the sentiment of what we've defined and determined to be loving 
doesn't feel loving according to what the Bible's delivering. Yeah, I had an, an occasion here just within the past six months. Uh, it was Pride Month. Mm-hmm. And someone in town who claims to be a believer, who is highly placed in the hierarchy of our political and public school system, this person went on Facebook and was throwing a pride flag and in her position in the public school was pushing for classes to put up the pride flag. And and I actually wrote her a note and I said, you know, this is really surprising given, you know, what Leviticus says and what Paul says in the New Testament, quoting from Leviticus, about God's view of same-sex sexuality. Mm. And I said, you know, if you, I, I actually... I offered to her, I said, look, I can I can meet you and show you how Paul's words in the New Testament are taken directly from Leviticus 18 and 22, meaning God's prohibition in Leviticus is still a New Testament prohibition. She wrote back and she said, well, I appreciate everybody's input, but God loves me. I am accountable only to him, not to you. And she used the idea that God loves who she is so much so that even if she's wrong, it's okay. Right. And I see that in, I've seen it for the last few generations of college students where you have believers who've grown up understanding that sexual activity outside of marriage is wrong. Now saying, yeah, but we love each other and, you know, a piece of paper isn't going to make a difference. So we, we are seeing this idea of God's love becoming the, the sandpaper that shaves the edges off of truth. Mm-hmm. You know, I've talked to people who have had abortions mm-hmm. and they say, yeah, I had an abortion. I probably shouldn't have done that, but God loves me. Right. God loves me becomes the uh, excuse. The wild card. The yeah. Get out of jail free. Exactly. Card. Yeah. Right. Exactly. In your interactions with this individual that you yeah. mentioned. And, and even people like this individual in the city, you know, I think of your mm-hmm. interactions mm-hmm. because of your column. Are you noticing that in your friendship with them, they're coming to a, a better understanding of where you're coming from when you, you speak truth? against certain things? Are they still categorizing you as unloving when you do that or just misunderstood? Well, just almost by accident, but obviously by God's providence, my relationship with this particular group of people didn't begin with my being a Christian. Mm. It began with my column in the newspaper as a thinker, as a, you know, as a conservative thinker, an ethicist. And so when they invited me to various things and I spent time with them, I purposely was a good listener to them and a good complimenter to them in areas that I could compliment. And I know this sounds horrible. I'm being the hero of my own stories and I don't want to do that. But what I found is that they accepted me as a person they wanted to have coffee with. Mm -hmm. And that opened the door then to me telling them, this is why I'm the way I am. I, I actually believe it's the First Peter 3, 15, mm-hmm. where, you know, be ready always to make a, uh, an answer to anybody who asks you, why are you the way you are? Mm. And they like me for reasons other than I'm a pastor. Because they like me, then they have opened themselves up to hearing why I am the way I am. And I think that's a good model if you come at the world and say, you guys are just wrong. Now, I know that's what the law says. Sure. But the question is, how do we create relationships that allow us to have conversations that matter? You can stand on the street corner with a sign that says abortion is murder, which I think it is. 
Sure. But that's not going to give you an audience with somebody who has had an abortion, is thinking about an abortion, or who actually thinks that, you know, abortion is okay, and that even if you do it, God still loves you. I, I think what's necessary is, and we've talked about this before, that's going to war with culture. Mm-hmm. That's fighting fire with fire. That's being set up as a mean-spirited person who just hates you. On the other end is there are people who are withdrawing. They're not, they're not anywhere. They don't have any contact with the unbelieving world. What I'm trying to model is what I'm trying to preach, and that is, look, let's have relationships with people who are unbelievers, but let's meet them on the grounds of, look, just be a person that's fun to be with. Do you think, Dave, that people in our city see us as a loving church? I know we can't always convince everybody because we're going to say things and stand for things that they don't like. But do you think that we have that as a developed reputation? Well, I, I can't really speak to that. When I'm out in the community and I'm out there all the time, mm-hmm. what they know about Grace Baptist is that we've been here a long time, mm-hmm. that we put on really great Christmas things and plays, and you know we, we allow the city to use our building. If people think we're a loving church, it's going to be on the basis of their interaction with people, with people. in their lives who are from Grace Baptist. And that's why I'm, I continue to preach. Let's, we're not shaving the edges off our truth. We're not going woke at all. We're not giving up our principles. We are living them out, but we're doing so with a smile on our face and with the a desire to listen. Yeah, I kind of set you up on that one. And, oh, boy. And, well, the reason I did that is because I know that, again, this is a default way of thinking. I, people don't do this intentionally. I even find myself slipping into this, and I'm on the pastoral staff. But you, with your voice and the mantle of responsibility that you carry as a senior pastor— People are going to answer that question based upon who they perceive you to be. And I'm trying to turn it around on those listeners to this podcast, those family members of Grace Baptist Church saying, no, 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 this is a church-wide thing. When your neighbors meet you, they have met a representative of Grace Baptist Church. Yes. This is not what David Hagg preached in the pulpit, although that is significant. It's big. Right, yeah. it, it carries right. a lot of water for sure, but this is the Grace Baptist family in this community, and so I, I just want our people to think more rightly about like who's responsible for carrying the reputation of our church. It's not just the pastors and the elders; that's a big part of it. Leadership is a huge part of it. It is the actual body itself. And I want to take what you just said and and uh, replace the word responsibility with privilege. Mm. It's not only our responsibility to represent Jesus Christ. It's a privilege. You know, I, I think here at Grace Baptist, we've done a pretty good job of keeping global missions in front of our people. Mm-hmm. You know, once a month or every other month, we have one of our global partners either on video or live being interviewed, and, and we're going to have a, a global outreach Sunday. And I think the area that we actually can maybe do a little more thinking and acting in is how can we as a people— in the normal rhythms of our lives, and that's the important line. Mm-hmm. It, you know, if you are, if you have kids in elementary school, is there a way that you can be part of the? I don't even know if they have PTA anymore, but is there a way that you can be part of a group of women or men whose kids also go to school with your kids? Maybe you carpool together. Maybe you are helping to coach a team. Maybe you're just going to the games. I know soccer was a big deal with my son, and Sherilyn and I ended up traveling to various tournaments. And staying overnight and eating dinner with 
other parents mm-hmm. and we got into conversations and you lead with your life, but you get out there. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we can't just be sequestered away from the very people who desperately need to know Jesus. Yeah. And that I for the listeners, for the Grace Baptist family, I think that's just a, a good consideration to leave them with, which is how do you love Santa Clarita? Right. There's not just one answer for that. Yeah. All right. It, it is all determined about where God has placed you, with whom God has placed you, so on and so forth. But that's a reputation and that's a responsibility and a privilege that we all carry as this family. Yeah, just let me say one last thing. Sometimes we think that the way that we can bring about the best change in Santa Cruz is in the voting booth. Mm. I'm going to tell you it's in the backyard. Mm. It's in your backyard, your neighbor's backyard. Maybe it's on the sidelines of the soccer field. Maybe it's having coffee with some folks that you get to know at work. You know, figure out a way dear ones, friends, family of Grace Baptist Church, to get into a relationship with someone who needs Jesus this year and then pray and pray. And I think you'll be surprised at the way your life maps onto theirs and they then come back and say, hey, like I had somebody text me back in December, hey, where do I find the story of Jesus' birth in the Bible? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, what an opening. Mm Why did they come to me? Because they had no idea where it was, and they're hearing about it, and they thought, oh, maybe I should read it. Mm. Well, that's the Spirit of God working in their lives, and that's the Spirit of God giving us the privilege to be useful to Him. Okay, so before we land this plane, let's have a little fun. (laughs) What are some fun ways, maybe there's no answer to this, maybe you do nothing, but what are some fun ways you and Sherilyn celebrate Valentine's Day? Oh, wow. Do you go away? Do you, you know, cook or dinner? What do you do? We are always asked on the... Tuesday or Wednesday before Valentine's Day to come and speak to the Fantastic Fours that's here right. at Grace Baptist Church. <laughs> yeah. and that's a that's a ministry to moms who have four year olds. Yeah. And they come for one year during the and the kids are doing crafts and they're doing things with mom, but but then the moms also meet and have a little Bible study. And so Sherilyn and I come in and talk about, you know, how do you have a, a thriving marriage when you got little kids running around? Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of fun. They do we do Q and A and some of the questions are outrageously wonderful and some of them are embarrassing, but we answer them anyway. Yeah, yeah. But you know what? I know this is gonna sound crazy, but we're empty nesters now. Okay, right. so every night when I come home, it's the best part of my day. And we stop what we're doing. She is cooking or cleaning or doing whatever. I come home, change my clothes, we sit out in our in our living room and we spend about half an hour going through our day with each other mm-hmm. and we laugh and we talk about our kids and it's just reconnecting. And it's, I got to tell you, going home's the best part of my day. Yeah. So Valentine's day is great. We give cards usually. Yeah. And, uh, and then we just kiss all night. It's wonderful. <laughs> so do you husbands and wives, maybe, you know, maybe the budget's a little tight, you know, you can, you really, you can't go out the way that you might like to. Why don't you get her a card, get him a card and uh, yeah, take Dave up on his advice. <laughs> You know what? <laughs> what my wife wants most of all yeah. is time. Yeah. Time with me. Yes. Alone. And now we don't have kids to have to parcel out. We used to go out, you know, find a babysitter, but now being home is is great. Mm. It's wonderful. Yeah. So husbands, give your wife some undivided, cheerful time. Yeah, man. Start going home before you get home. Ah, right? wow. Put that on a bumper sticker. Yeah, buddy. I hear you. Well, Dave. 
thanks for sitting down with me. Sure. It's a fun Anytime. season to be back in. Grace family, thanks so much for tuning in. Here we are in another season of Magnify. Hopefully you'll be able to join us next time. Thanks for streaming. Thank you so much for joining us today. Make sure to subscribe to Magnify Podcast so you never miss an episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others. Post about it on social media or leave a rating and review. We would love to hear from you. So if you have any questions you'd like to ask in our mailbag, you can email them to magnify at gracebaptist.org and we will answer them on the show. Thank you so much for streaming.